0: Um, I have a, a, an announcement that I didn't make earlier, but I'm inviting you uh, to lunch. Um, I, won't leave, I won't just leave it there, I'll finish it. Uh, I'm inviting folks to lunch who, want to, who are willing to be join me in being first responders. And what do I mean by that? Um, a first responder is, is a person who, who walks into... Difficult situations, and in this case, spiritually speaking, is the same thing. Uh, difficult conversations, uh, enter into uh, to share your faith with people. That's couldn't get anything more difficult than that, right? Like uh, that's going to push me out of my comfort zone for sure. So, but but many of us, I believe, w- want to share our faith more. We feel God is telling us we need to get more comfortable sharing our. I need to get more comfortable sharing my faith. If that's you, if you would like. If you feel God is telling you that, then I invite you to join me in being a first responder. What does that mean? That means we're going to meet probably once a month or so, and we're going to pray for the people that God has put on our heart to share our faith with, to invite them to a relationship with Christ. Uh, We're going to pray for each other. We're going to hold each other accountable, and we're going to talk about sharing our faith. Uh, So, if that's you, if you fit in that mold, uh, in a couple of Sundays, I'm going to invite you to lunch. Uh, so in the between now and then, you can just simply send me a text message, send me an email, tell me after church. Uh, don't tell me now because I'll forget it. Uh, but uh, write it down and give it to me. Let me know uh, that you want to be a part of that because I believe there are many of us who feel like God wants us to share, but we're unsure of what to share, how to share it, and when. And so we need a, a support system in that. So we want to do that, encourage each other, provoke one another to love and good works. And this is one way we do that. So if that fits you, then I invite you to be a part of it. Before I begin today, I'm going to ask, going to ask us all to pray together. And when I say pray together, I mean we're going to pray out loud, right? Rom Chapel this morning. I had a couple people come back to church later for a second service today because, because it was a learning experience for them earlier today. So when we pray together, we're going to pray out loud together. So just repeat after me. Lord. See, see how they got it? First try, Denny. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, use your word this morning to encourage me or to challenge me. Amen. 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 We all have, there are many of you who have great stories. And all great stories always, they all start the same. I've got to tell you what happened. Right? Right? Like, that's how they all, we, we all start, to, and as soon as we hear that, we're like, okay, come on, let me have, like, tell me. I want to know now, right? The Bible's full of those kind of stories. I want to share one of them with you today. Um, it's in Acts chapter 12. It's the middle of the night, and there's a knock on the door. Like, it, like it knocks on the door in the middle of the night mean many things, but on a holiday weekend, when when people aren't supposed to be out after dark in this time and place in Jerusalem, no one should be out. At night, especially with what all is going on. Even though it's Passover weekend, they're still they're, you don't want to just let anybody in. And so who's going to come to the door in the middle of the night? It's a holiday season, so there's a bunch of kids in the house. And just like kids are, the way kids are, before you can say anything, they're off running to hear to see who's at the door to let them in. So you have to yell out, don't open the door without finding out who's out there. Like you're yelling at them. And they're, they don't hear a thing. They're just, they're off. See, there's a lot has been going on. Your friend Peter's been arrested for preaching. And you, they're, they're planning to kill him, and you know that. But that's not the worst of it, you see. The king, just a few days before, had, had John's brother, James, killed. Had, his, had him killed before he had a trial. Before he was found guilty of anything, they just killed him. They didn't even have a good reason for it. just did it. He couldn't even wait to see if he was actually guilty, which he wasn't, but, but that wasn't the point. They just murdered him. And now Peter is there, waiting to be killed tomorrow. And Mary, so we're all here at Mary's house, that's Mark's mom, you know, we hear this knocking late at night, and oh my goodness, what what could it, should we answer it? Who could, who could be coming to the house this late? All the adults talking over one of the kids Runs off to see. Then comes back. It's Peter! It's Peter! It's Peter! And you're like, no, it's not Peter. He's in jail. We all know we saw him in jail. We know where Peter is. He's not at the door. Maybe the best case, it's his angel. Right? But we know it's not Peter. But she runs back to open it anyway. Wouldn't you know it? It is Peter. It is Peter. Hey, Peter, it's so good to see you. We've been, we were just praying for you, man. Like, like, what are you doing here? And he says, oh, my goodness, do I have a story to tell you. He comes in, and he begins to tell us this amazing story. That, yeah, I was preaching in town, and, but, and I was arrested. But it's not just that I was arrested, but I was chained between two guards. I had a guard on my right and a guard on my left. Like, like that's crazy, all because they were going to kill me the next day. And it wasn't just two guards I was chained to, but there was another guard in my cell and another one outside the door of myself. Four guards all day long have been rotating shifts around to get, to guard me, Peter. Like, really? What am I going to do? They know they're going to kill me tomorrow. Herod had plans to do that. So all I could do was pray. I knew what tomorrow was going to hold. All I could do was pray. And I, I fell asleep praying. As a matter of fact, and, and it seemed like just a, just a couple of minutes ago, right? I was asleep, dead asleep, and all of a sudden, somebody punches me in the ribs. Like I was, I woke up thinking, like, "What are they starting to the beating already? Like, really? They can't wait until morning time?" And then this bright light shone. I realized that the cell was all lit up, and it was. It kind of, I was a little confused. I didn't know what was happening. I looked up, and there's an angel standing above. And the angel said to me, Get up. And and that moment, the moment the angel said, Get up, that chains that were on my wrist, they just fell off. Like they just fell off. Literally, they just fell off. And then the angel says, Get up and get dressed. Well, I'm going to do, I'm going to get up and get dressed, right? Because all this is happening. I I get up and get dressed, and the angel says, Follow me out. And and literally, we, we walk out of the jail. and and we walked right by the guards, and they didn't say a word to us. So I'm thinking, I'm dreaming all this, right? Because literally, we walked all the way out of the jail and walked by station after station after station of guards, and they didn't say anything to us. We got to the city gate, right? The the gate from the jail into the city. It's like a, a big metal gate. And get this. This is when I knew it was real, because the gate just opened before we ever got to it. Like... Like there was some like force that just pushed the door open. And in that moment I knew that I was awake, like this was really happening. And I turned to look at the angel and just then it was gone. It was gone. So I'm just standing there in the street, and I knew that I' got to come tell somebody. I've got to come tell you." And so I, I came to, Peter says, I came to Mary's because I knew this is where y'all would be. You've got to tell the brothers other disciples. You've got to tell them what happened. I can't stay here because it's not safe. Because they're going to come and look for me tomorrow. And if I'm here, I'm afraid you all will get in trouble. So I'm going to leave. But tell the brothers for me. And with that, he just walks away. It's an amazing story of delivery, of of salvation, if you will. Peter had to share, right? The Bible is full of stories like that. Full of them. And and they're, they're no more or less powerful. This one that Peter experienced was actually this God's story, the Bible, that his story of what he's writing in life, right? And he's, he's using regular people, regular people, to tell a powerful story. Now, this is the God of creation, the one who formed man out of dust, right, and breathed into him the life, right? The same God who put the stars in place is writing a story, his story. He's telling his story through people like Peter, you and me. That's that's amazing to me. That really is amazing to me. Like, Like, he can do anything. Actually, he did. He came and told part of his story himself, right? But other than that, he leaves most of it to us to tell. That's what this eighth choice in this Life's Healing Choices series is all about. It's about the sharing choice. I choose to yield myself to God to be used to bring the good news to others, both by my example and by my words. Many of us have heard this, read this quote by, uh, it's, it's attributed to Francis, Saint Francis of Assisi. You know, like, like preach the gospel at all times and and sometimes use words. That's not Francis of Assisi at all. We 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 attribute that to him, but but I, I think if you, if we do a lot enough research, we'll realize that that's not what he said. As a matter of fact, he lived his life. Just the opposite. That I'm going to proclaim the good news. I'm not just going to do good deeds. I'm going to tell people why I'm doing good deeds. Because let me just be honest with you. Some of you Christians or do some weird stuff. Like you'll stay up, you'll get up in the middle of the night to pray for somebody. Like that's not normal. Like you'll give your stuff away. Like nobody gives their stuff away. Like nobody's generous like that. Like, like you don't know how you're going to pay your bills this month and yet you're giving money away. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. How, how You have a lot at work to do, but yet you'll leave early to go and do something for somebody else. Like, like Christians do some weird stuff, right? It needs to be explained. <laughs> the world needs to know why you do what you do. Because it's not what the world says to do. That's why this step is all about. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. The children of God. Peacemakers. We talked about it before. It was about making amends between one another. Like, like go and make, make amends with people that you've harmed, right? But it's also about allowing people to make amends with God. Being a peacemaker. Being a bridge builder. So people can restore their relationship back to God, right? It's about helping people build those bridges to restore their relationship with God. The one that they were created to have, it's about restoring, helping them restore that. But it's also... About helping people, helping people understand what God is doing. A lot of times in, in the church world, we use this word apologetics, right? It's it's a it's a fancy word. Uh, Apologia in, in in Greek is what it refers to. It's a word Paul used a lot in the Bible, and it talks about a, a, a defense, just like you would think of in trial. You know, if you have. You go to, I don't even think of all those trial shows on TV now, but Judge Judy. If you went to Judge Judy, you would, you would make your apologeo, you would make your defense before Judge Judy, right? The problem with making our, our faith something we'd have to defend, why Jesus is, who is God, the reason to have to defend those things, it becomes an argument then, because it's, people can argue both sides, and, and that's not the point. But there is one defense of faith that can't be argued. That's what God has done in your life. Like, and the reason why nobody can argue it is because we knew you before. (laughs) We knew you before, and we know you now, and there's no other explanation for it other than something about you changed. Or maybe a lot about you changed, right? A lot about you changed. You used to be a gossip. But now you tell people, don't do that. You used to be hard-hearted, but now you're quick to forgive. Maybe you've been healed. Maybe you're now able to forgive. Have you made amends with someone you wronged? Have you been changed? If you have, then that's your story. That is your story, and that's well, actually that's God's story that He's writing through you. That's what God has been up to. And the world is full of people who are desperate to hear what God is up to. See, because when we hear what God is doing in you, it inspires us. Paul said it this way in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He said, uh, may God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all God is the source of all comfort. And you get this, verse 4 is a big one. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. When we're troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. Why does God walk through you through storms? So that you can help others walk through storms. That's why. How does does that work? How does that help? (laughs) Like just knowing. You know, it's not about how hearing about how bad your life used to be. It's not about hearing that. But but when I hear like how desperate you were and how God showed up, what I hear is that I hear about a God who loves me. I hear about a God who's full of grace. I hear about a God who cares about what people are going through. And that inspires me. That inspires me to face my problems, to face my difficulties. It inspires the world to, to live for tomorrow. The world needs to hear that. You remember the Apostle Paul, right? If you don't know the Apostle Paul, he was a, a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was, out to, he was on his way to round up a bunch of Christians to have them killed. And God struck him blind, knocked him off the horse. Three days later, he healed him, gave him his sight back, right? This was a dramatic transformation. What did Paul do again and again and again? He told people. He told people, I was blind, and now I see told people again and again and again that I'm was i the worst of the worst but I'm no longer God got his attention. That's the first of two things I want to share with you today that God gets our attention and that's one thing we can share with people how God got our attention scripture says it sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways it's not saying that all pain that we experience in life it's so we change something. But, but what it does say is that, that, that God wants us to be in a relationship with him. And sometimes he allows that to move us close to him. To move us close to him. Paul knew that. And that's why he wrote in 2 Corinthians 7 that, that, that when he offends people sometimes, he makes them uncomfortable so that they will repent. So that they will, because repentance, being near, to, being returned back to a relationship with God is the best thing that can happen to them. Many people say, but you know, I, I haven't gone through what so many people are going through. I haven't experienced that. My, how can my story help others? I think of people who lived a pretty good life, you know, who would say that. I mean, I wasn't an alcoholic. I didn't have an affair. I haven't done anything that, really that bad. Maybe that's you. You don't have a dramatic salvation story like Peter. Like, suck you out of jail. Right? Not many of us do. Peter does. right? Maybe you don't have a transformation story like Paul that you were blind and now you see. Maybe not. Maybe you don't have a prodigal story that you, you just squandered everything and found yourself desperate. Maybe that's not you. But you do have a story. You do have a story because well, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you do have a story because your life has been changed. Your life has been changed. No one... No one is born a Christian. Every one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, at some point you had to decide that I'm going to follow Jesus. Like you weren't always that way. Something changed. Something changed. And it doesn't matter what got you to that point. At that point, you became a Christian. Up to then, we we come from all different backgrounds and all different experiences, and we have a whole bunch of different things that got us there. I was watching the World Series. Anybody else? Anybody else watch the World Series with me? Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, on the game four, uh, Jose and I'll, I can't pronounce his name. your security I think is how you say his name. I don't know. Uh, his first major league start was in the World Series. How about that? Now, that would be great, wouldn't it? Your like your first day on the job would be the World Series. How good is that? <laughs> I mean, it's not—it's not his first day on the job, but you know, this was his first major league start. Was in the World Series, and then, but he's a pitcher, so you know. So I didn't get much into that part. But what I got into was was when he got to the plate, his first major league at bat, and the announcers on TV—they were just going off on this guy about how bad his stance was. I mean, he was literally—he was like, like that. He, like, he was like almost in the dugout. Trying to bat, it was it was pretty wild. But it, I would too, because because there's one thing about throwing a 90 mile an hour fastball. It's another one about having them come underneath your chin, right? It's a whole different ballgame. And so he was a little intimidated, right? But he's a pitcher, so of course. So I'm not going to be on him too hard. But what I will say about 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 great hitters is that they they too have some pretty crazy stances. If you watch baseball. Uh, they, they, some of them stand with their feet right together, and some of them are like wide. They get their feet all wide apart. And some of them have the bat waist stuck straight up in the air, and some of them it's almost touching their back, right? They have all different kind of stances. Same thing with golf. They all have different kind of stances. That, that, but, but great hitters in baseball and great golfers, all of them, when they make contact with the ball, you could almost take a picture of it and lay it on top of all the great hitters, and they all look exact, almost exactly the same. Their form at contact is exactly the same. You may say, what does that do with anything about what you're talking about here? It doesn't matter how you get to it, right? It's Because at the point of contact, we all experience transformation at Christ, right? That point is the same for all of us. But we may bring, we may start out in a different stance, and that's all right. So your story doesn't have to be my story. My story doesn't have to be yours, but the transformation that happens in Christ is going to be the same for all of us. It's going to be the same for all of us. So, what is it that got your attention? What is it that got your attention? Let me let me help you think through some of these. Was it your feelings? <laughs> I don't feel nothing. Feelings. It's a bunch of, uh, bunch of baloney about feelings. Like tough guys, we don't talk about feelings. That's, that's for girls talking about feelings. But feelings are universal. We all have them. You can't avoid not having them, right? You feel things, and, and you shouldn't pretend that you don't. Like if you're brokenhearted, like what breaks your heart? That may be how God is trying to speak to you. That may be how God is trying to get your attention. Paul told, told the church in Corinth that we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. I don't know if I have it. No, I don't. God's story is often communicated to us in broken hearts. Oftentimes it's in broken hearts. So what broke your heart? Birth of a child? Break your heart? Death of a loved one? Break your heart? Do you have a holy discontent for something? When you see something in the world, do you, does something like, like visceral happen in your gut that you say, that shouldn't be? God, break your heart that way? Abuse child? Someone who's taken advantage of? Sharing that. Sharing that. That, that, mm, that, don't, not, this is not the way it should, that thing that you really care about that's most impacted you, that of your feelings will help others move closer to God. Because the, they understand what moves them. You see? They understand what moves them. Second thing, God may get your attention through your faults. Each one should carry his own load. Just like everyone has a heart for something, we have a mind. You have a mind, I have a mind, we all have thoughts, and our thoughts always tell us that we know that we're insufficient. Someone tells us that we're insufficient, that we don't have what it takes. We have that thought. God calls us to be holy, (laughs) and we're not, right? We all know that. We all know that. We have faults. We all have them. They're different, but they're the same, and that we they're the same. Talk about yours. That's that's maybe that's how God got your attention that you saw how broken you were, and in that moment, he got your attention. That made you part of God's story. The story that he's telling. So you used to be a judgmental gossip, but not anymore. Jesus changed the way you think of other people. Maybe you used to struggle to forgive, but then you realize how much God and Christ has forgiven you. These are common to us, to many of us. But hearing how a relationship with Jesus can change our lives, it leads to change in us, in others. Another way God gets our attention is failures. Failures. We all have failures. No matter how tall you are, you've fallen short, right? We all have failure. But sometimes, not all of us have experienced a felony, right? A, a felony on our record, but, but we all have experienced failure, and for some of us, we get stuck in failure. Failure causes us to get stuck. We have a failed marriage, right? Or we have a parent who ran off, wrote you off. Or maybe you have a child who don't, don't, won't speak to you. Right? We understand what, what it means to feel like a failure, but you're not alone in this <laughs> because it's kind of a universal feeling that we, we feel like failures. We've all failed God's standard, and we all need a Savior. Right? It communicates to everyone that sense of being a failure. So, so we all know what it's like to fall short. So share your story. Another one for some of you is frustrations, feelings, faults, Failures, they're universal, and so are frustrations. I'll tell you that that I have studied humanity for, I had a birthday yesterday, so I've studied humanity for 51 years. Yeah, thank you very much. I've studied humanity for 51 years. I've been one that long. And you know what I've discovered? It's a profound truth that all humans, most of them at least, can't count. They cannot count. All of us were born, most all of us were born with 12 fingers and 2 feet. Count to 12 should be really simple. And yet, I go in the grocery store every time, and there will be people with 20, 25 items in that line that says, plain as day, 12 items or less express. And people can't count. I'm convinced. And some of of you are in that line, I just want to say. I just want to say. (laughs) <laughs> that I sit behind, and I'm counting the items in their basket. Some of them don't even have a, like, the carry, like it should be carry-on only. But they push a cart through there, right? And that's, like, obvious they're going to have more than 12 items. You don't need a cart for, anyway, I'm going to get on a rant. I'm going to get on a rant here. You know what I've thought about? I've realized, actually, the thing I've realized about my study of humanity is that in all, and this is just one of the things that frustrates me, because I've got several others. What I've realized about all of them is they have a common denominator. Me. I'm the one that has the problem. Like, I'm the one that gets frustrated. I'm the one that doesn't control their anger, lets their anger, or their frustration get a hold of them, right? That, like, that's me. That's my problem. That's how God got my attention, was that why are you getting upset about this? Why, why, why are you letting this bother you? Why do you have to feel like you're in control of all that time? Paul said in Romans 7, in chapter 7, he said, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. Right? I can't carry it out. Maybe you too have frustrations, and they, they kind of get the best of you sometimes. Tell us. That's part of your story. How God has got, gotten your attention through your frustrations, and He's saying, why? It's not about you. Why are you letting this frustrate you? Finally, another one that God uses to get our attention is fears. Fears. Now, fears are generally irrational. Sometimes they can be real. though. I mean, we can be in scary situations at times, but a lot of times, usually, our fears are are pretty irrational. They're like things that are not really going to ever happen, but we get afraid of them anyway, like sharing your faith. You're worried about, well, what are they going to think of me? And they're not. (laughs) But I have a friend who uh, was in a scary situation, right, and he literally in a foxhole, and he prayed, God, if you get me out of this, I'll read your Bible every year. And so for the last 30, 35 years, he's read the Bible all the way through every year. Why? Because a fear changed him. God used a fear, a real fear, whether it was, I mean, he was literally in a foxhole, uh, but God used that experience to change his life. And maybe that's a fear that maybe you've experienced that God used to get your attention has changed you. See, everyone's afraid of something. Everyone. Even the toughest tough guy, the most spiritual rock in the church, is afraid of something. Everyone connects to that. You see, everybody has a story. A story of, of what brought them to God. Every one of you who's a Christian, you have a story of what brought you to God. What keeps you humble before him? What is it? What keeps you knowing that you need a Savior? Years ago, I heard a story of uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. I don't know if you ever heard of her or not, but uh, she's probably in her 70s now. Uh, she was uh, over in Baltimore, near Baltimore. Uh, she was diving in the Chesapeake Bay, and the water was a lot more shallow than she thought, and she hit a piling. She dove headfirst and hit a piling, I believe, in the, in the bay, and it left her paralyzed. She fractured C4 and C5 in her neck, and she was, she's been paralyzed from her shoulders down for 52 years, she spent in a wheelchair fighting to live, literally, fighting to live. Um, and she has said many times and, and written many times that, that I'd rather be in a wheelchair with Jesus than walking without him. I'd rather be in a wheelchair with Jesus than walking without him. You see, what what she found, that, that, that being with Jesus proved to be greater than any circumstance without him. Anything that I could possibly dream up that with without Jesus, would not be as good as me being stuck in this chair with him. Now, it's not to say that it hasn't been easy. I can't imagine how difficult it has been. But that's her experience. Why? Because the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to him, the more clear you see how everything else pales in comparison. The closer we get to Jesus, even though he doesn't deliver us out of our problems even though he just walks with us through them, we find that his presence in our lives changes us in truly profound ways if you've experienced that. And that's what I want the second thing. second point of the two, two points of this whole message. And you're thinking, boy, it's taking him a long time to get number two. You're right. The second thing is what I learned in the process. That's what I can share. Is what I learned in the process. You see, when we get close to Christ, we can't help but learn stuff because you're like, oh God, I mean, like you don't say it disrespectfully, you're like, oh God, you're there, right? And you begin to discover things about yourself, about the world, you learn as you get close to Christ. Paul, one who learned a lot about God, was beaten, persecuted. He wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Brothers and sisters, we don't want, to, want you to be ignorant about the suffering we experienced in the province of Asia. It was so extreme that it was beyond our ability to endure. We even wondered if we could go on living. In fact, we still feel as if we're under a death sentence. But we suffered so that we would stop trusting ourselves and learn to trust God, who brings back from the dead to life. He has rescued us from a terrible death, and He will rescue us in the future. We're confident that He will continue to rescue us. Paul was suffering what had to be an eternal significance, right? Like, it taught him. He would, his suffering was etern- had eternal significance. It taught him everything about Christ. And I'm not saying that God punishes us, makes us go through difficulties to teach us, but what I am saying is that God will never waste a hurt you experience because he loves you too much. He loves you too much to waste anything that the world brings into your life, that death brings into your life, that pain brings into your life. God is not going to waste that. For your good that's what you can share that in the process we learn the process of healing we learn to depend on God's love Paul said it again and again and again God has and God will God has and God will I know he has in the past and he will again I know he has and he will he says it over and over because God's love never runs out God's love is never withheld from us God's love is always present So we can trust God because he's trustworthy. And if we can trust him to love us no matter what, we can trust his word. That's the second thing that I pray that you learn in the healing process is that to follow God's word. We learn that we can obey his word. It makes a difference when we actually do what God says. We know that. We learn to live a new life that that he teaches us actually to be generous, he teaches us to forgive, he teaches us to serve rather than wait to be served. And when we do that, when we learn those those habits, we learn to live the life that he created us to live. We learn it actually makes a difference. It's the change, the life that he wants us to live is all about service, generosity. It's about others. It ain't about us. And we learn that. The closer we get to Christ, the more we learn about the life that he's promised for us. Now, this is our boast, Paul says. This is what I'm going to brag about. Our conscience testifies that we've conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relationships with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We've done so relying not only, not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. But on God's grace. God's grace has made a difference. I hope you saw all those us's and we's in there. Because that's another thing you can share with people. That you have to share as you've been changed is that you need other people. Myself coming up out of a kind of a dysfunctional family, I wanted to get away from it. I wanted to put as much distance as I could between it and me, right? Maryland seemed to be about as far away from anywhere as you could get at the time. <laughs> Still wondering about that, Bob. <laughs> Still wondering. But what I found out when I got here was that you can't do this alone. You can't do this alone. I didn't understand that until I met Guinea Leg. You know, and he began to make a difference in my life, to share his life with mine with me he told me about when he wanted to take his own life and and how he all the things that he had been through then I met a few other men Themo and Claudia and Ashley and Dane other men who have made me who I am today by sharing their life with me you see the Christian faith is not meant to be lived alone it's not meant to be a solo thing it's meant to be done in community that's why we share Holy Communion together why it's called communion because you do it in community. That's how we know that God can bring good out of bad. That God can bring good out of bad. For God, nothing. For God, nothing is as bad as it seems. <laughs> to us, it's awful. But to God, it's, it's opportunity positive. Where I'm from, we have a saying that you can't fix stupid. (laughs) You can't fix, and and I guess that's true, but not to God. Well, maybe God doesn't fix stupid. Maybe he just says, you know what, I'm going to use it in ways that make you just be amazed. I'm just going to, you're just going to shake your head at what these people can do, right? Romans 8, 28, Paul said, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose everything that works for the good of those who God wants to use, who God loves. Tom Willis and I are serving on a uh, Kairos weekend. If you're not familiar with that, that's like, uh, many of you probably heard us talk about the Walk to Emmaus or Chrysalis, those kinds of events. Uh, It's a three-day retreat, I guess, but we're doing it in a prison. Uh, We're doing it in uh, Sussex Correctional Institute down in Georgetown, and uh, we and about 25 other men are going into the prison for the weekend to, to do that. And uh, last, uh, several years ago, probably four years ago, I was on a team before. And when I got home, I got a letter from one of the inmates, residents, sorry. Uh, they're not inmates, they're residents. Uh, and so one of them wrote me a letter when we got out. And he kind of, I don't know how he found out who I was, because you're not supposed to share that kind of stuff. But he did. He sent me a letter, and he, and he told me in the letter that, that and he was had a 20-year sentence, uh, for things that he, he needed, to, he deserved twenty years for maybe more. Um, but what he wrote in the letter was that being in prison was the best thing to happen to him. Like, who's going to say that? That's just at first instinct. That's just a dumb thing to say. Like that's not the best. Like how could that ever be the best thing to happen to you? Christ, that's how he said. Him, I met Jesus there. It changed my life. Like I would, I'd be a dead man. He said, but I'm not now. I'm alive. Changed his life how that can be is only God. In, in Genesis, uh, Joseph, he wrote about his brothers. You remember the ones who threw him in the hole to, to, that were going to kill him and sell him or whatever else? Joseph said, you know, you meant it to harm me, but God meant it to save others. God said, I, I'm the, what should break you, what should be a waste, I'm going to redeem. Bad becomes the source of good when God is at work in our lives and in the, in the world. And that gives us hope. That if we're close to Jesus, that we have hope that we can change things, that He can change things. So, so I just want to say, if you don't feel like you know I can't share my faith with people because I'm not there yet, then share where you are, <laughs> right? Because I'm I'm gonna I'm probably gonna break a rule here, and I'm gonna tell you something like like you know when there were little kids around, you couldn't tell them stay, you had to, you couldn't tell them some things. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna do one of those things that I'm probably not supposed to do today. I'm going to tell you something that people around you probably don't want you to know. It's a secret. Nobody thinks you're perfect. I'll, I'll say it again because some of you didn't hear that. Nobody thinks you're perfect. That's a secret. But, but seriously, like, like we get caught up and we can't tell people what's our what problems, right? But the reality is that everybody knows you've got problems. Well, oh, Lord, for some of you, we can see it. Right, right? We we know. <laughs> we, we know you got problems. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being judgmental. <laughs> but no, we know that nobody's perfect, right? Good Lord, y'all are looking at me, and you know, you're like, yeah, we're right. So we can, like, let that off of you. You don't have to carry that burden. You're not. We're not. Nobody is. So, so tell people what you're struggling with. That gives hope. Because, you see, like, I struggle with forgiveness, but... Jesus is showing me I don't have to. I struggle with drinking too much, but Jesus is showing me that's a choice. I, I can't stop smoking, or at least I tell myself I can't smoke. I'll stop smoking, but I know that's just a choice. It's not like he wants me to be free from that. That's your story, that you know that he wants you to be free. Now, now, you just haven't followed along with that, right? But that's a choice, and that's your story. That's where you are. It's okay to not be perfect, but just know that He's not going to leave you alone there. And that's the point. The sharing choice is about yielding myself to God to be used to bring the good news to others by my example and by my words. The choice is about helping others take a healing choice. I shared with you all before that, that uh, this year I have I've I'm sorry, coaching at Kent County High School, and, and one of those practices we do, it every football team everywhere that I've ever been a part of, they all have the same tradition. The last regular season, I don't know if volleyball does this it, or not, but the last regular season practice, they have this thing they call uh, um, senior speeches, you know, it's different schools call them different things. And uh, the seniors get up and they tell, you know, like like how it's really impacted them being a part of the team or whatever, you know, the good things, the bad things. No, they don't share the bad things. They share the good things. And they, they, they call it at Kent County, and I don't know if the all those teams call it that, but they call them uh, passing the torch, and it's kind of a it's kind of a neat thing. Uh, and what's what's neat about it is the kids to a to a player, they'll all tell the same kind of story. Is that you know I I didn't think I wanted to do this. You know I kind of got tired, burned out my sophomore year because I wasn't getting playing time, and I wanted to quit, but I didn't. And and don't quit. You know they'll always don't quit. This is a brotherhood. This is a family. Like don't stop. They want to inspire others to keep on, keep it on, that it's worth it, right? We call it in football a brotherhood, that we're in it for each other. And it's a pretty true statement. And, and it's always funny that, that when the kids are telling those stories, and they always ask the coaches to be there when they share the stories, that all the, you know, tough football coaches, you know, we're, we're all like sitting around on the edge. And uh, all of a sudden, I can't explain it. When they're telling stories about how the sport has moved them, how how the team has, has changed their life, and stuff gets, starts flying around and gets in your eye. And, and you have to, like, you know, like, some, some guys have to turn around. You know, it's really, it's really funny that, that everybody is drawn to that, stories of transformation. Everybody is affected by that. You can't, they're one they of dry eye in the place. Because everybody connects with stories of transformation and change. We need to get used to telling God's story. We need to get, we need to get used to telling it, you and I. And I understand there are those of us here today who don't have prodigal son stories. The ones who went off and crashed their lives. That's not your story, that's not mine. But I think most church folk have elder brother stories. And if you're not familiar with the elder brother in the story, you remember that in the prodigal son's tale, he was the one that stayed home and kept working for dad and kept doing what dad wanted him to do. He, kept, he was the good one. He was the good son. But what, when his younger brother came back he got angry because why what's he doing coming back? you see I say we're like the elder brother but we're not completely because, because oftentimes we're glad that the prodigal finds forgiveness. we're glad that the prodigal finds forgiveness from God that they they really needed Jesus. we're glad that they found him. You're just glad that that you were never so bad that you needed Jesus to die for you, and that when you think that thought, that's when it strikes you that oh my goodness, I have been that elder brother. I have been the one that acted like I don't. Jesus didn't need to die for me. I'm okay. The elder brother in the story leaves without going to the party, but see. If you're a follower of Jesus, you get it. You understand that you actually need Jesus, right? You actually need him, and that he's changing your life. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more clear your mistakes are, the more clear your forgiveness is. You still have a story to share, and there are people dying to hear it. There are people dying to hear it. So I want to help you. I want to help you understand your story, to listen to God. So I'm going to pray in just a moment, and I'm going to have some periods of silence, not long to make you uncomfortable, but long enough maybe for the Spirit to stir something up in your mind. All right? So just join me in praying. Lord, we thank you for telling your story through people like us. Help us to hear. Help us to know what it is you've done in our life in a way that we can tell others. So I ask you now, Lord, show us what our life was like Before we surrendered to Christ. Before we became a Christian. What was our life like? Show me. And we're not going to dwell in that for long. But I want you to get a glimpse of it so you remember what it was. God, show us circumstances of how we came to surrender our lives to Christ. How it was we became into a relationship with Jesus. How you got our attention. Who was there? Where were we? How did you get our attention? And finally, Lord, show us how our life has changed since we surrendered our life to you. Show us since you've been the Lord of our life, how has our life been changed? What have you taught us? What have you enabled us to do? God, we understand that as we're we're a follower of you, we have an answer to all three of those questions. All three of those have an answer. And that's your story in us. That's good news. That's the good news we've lived out. Thank you, Lord, for showing us. God, as we continue in prayer, I lift to you our our church leaders, our our denominational leaders, God, our conference leadership. Lord, I ask that you would give them boldness and wisdom. To make decisions that are in keeping with your word, with your will, with your desire for us as the people of God. Lead us, Lord. God, we lift to you marriages that are in trouble, where forgiveness is no longer the norm, where communication doesn't really happen anymore. God, I ask you to, to help them to love each other again, to, to heal wounds. God, to remind them of what it was like when they first fell in love. To find joy in each other again. Thank you, Lord. We lift to you as well, God, the military first responders, folks who are used to